on today's episode, part two of Running Lean with Patrick McGilfrey. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Patrick in part one. If you haven't listened to part one, please do so. But um, we dive straight into this. We answer a lot of your patron questions. Um, if you haven't become a patron before and you want to know really how it works, um, there's always a link in the show notes to every episode that um, it just says become a patron or some effect of that. And you dive into a private Facebook group with all the other patrons. And this is where all the magic happens. This is where I ask you guys, I've uh, got this upcoming episode. What questions do you want to ask? We also vote on future topics. We vote on what patron exclusive episodes get released because through the Run Smarter app, once a month, we release an exclusive episode that only the patrons get access to. Um, and just like for an example, um, coming up, we have Claire Bartholik, who's the host of the Run to the Top podcast, and she asked me if she want if we should talk about masters running or we should talk about uh, plant based running. And so, ask the patrons what do we want to what do we want to talk about on that interview? And so, voted left a poll. Seems like masters running is the most favorite topic. And so, the next thing was just to ask questions. And so, patrons are now submitting questions to what I should ask Claire in that episode. And so that's just an example of what it's like to be a patron as well as just helping with the general future direction of this podcast. Um, we have a lot of fun in there. So if you do want to join, if you think that asking questions to guests such as Patrick McGilvray um, is something right up your alley and you want to have a, a little bit more of a interactive kind of vibe with the podcast, feel free to jump in. It's $5 per month. And yeah, we'll be happy to have you. And so without further ado, let's dive into part two. The other misconceptions I kind of wanted to delve into were the types of foods. So fats, sugars, and oils as well, if you have anything to say about that, because we've grown up to think fat's really bad for us. Fat makes us put on fat. It's the same word. Like fat that you put in, fat that you have on your body <laughs> is the same word. But um, what... What do you have to say about that? Like, what are the misconceptions around sugar, oils, and fats? All right. So fat is one of these things that has become like uh, uh, a four-letter word, you know, and, and 
This started around 1980 when they put out the U.S. dietary, dietary guidelines for Americans, and they, they, they had this hypothesis. There was this theory that eating fat was, was bad for you. Now, up to this point, that nobody had ever really talked about this before. They had done some studies and things like that, and they tried to show this connection between eating saturated fat and heart disease. And they never came up with any conclusive, you know, evidence. And, and if you want to take a deep dive into this, there's a fantastic book by Nina Teicholz called, and I'm going to mess up the name of this book right now, um, The Big Fat Surprise, I believe is what it's called. So fascinating on how all this played out. And, um, and, and so fat was something that, like, we, we need to eat fat, okay? Fat is an essential nutrient. There, there are um, a lot of essential nutrients. Essential means that our body doesn't produce them. We have to eat them in order to get them or we'll die. Fat is an essential nutrient. We have to eat fat or we will die. Protein is an essential nutrient. If we don't eat protein, we will die. Um, carbohydrates, not an essential nutrient. We don't need to eat carbohydrates. We will not die if we don't eat carbohydrates. Our brains need a certain amount of glucose. And guess what? Our liver produces all the glucose that we need. And, and, and our muscles need a certain amount of glucose. And, and we get that from, um, you know, it, it's, there's processes that happen in our body where, you know, some, some fat is turned into glucose. Sometimes protein is turned into glucose. And, and we get all the glucose that we need without having to eat um, carbohydrates, okay? So getting back to the fat. So fat is one of these essential nutrients that we have to have. And for two and a half million years of, as humans, we've been eating fat, and it's not been a problem. But all of a sudden, in like 1980, they were like, you got to stop eating the fat. Yeah, it's bad for you, <laughs> okay? So they took the fat out of everything, and they replaced it with sugar, you know, like they took the fat out of yogurt, and, and now it tastes terrible, so they added sugar. You know, they took the fat out of all kinds of foods, and then they replaced it with, with sugar. So fat is not something that, that we need to be avoiding. Um, fat is, is absolutely essential. Um, but the right kinds of fat is important. You know, we want to do natural fats, you know, fats that come along with the meat that you eat. You want to eat fats like butter or ghee or you know, coconut oil, um, olive oil, fats that you get from certain foods like olives or, or avocados. Eggs have fantastic amount of fat in them. Um, these are all like super high quality sources of fat. Um, the oils though, on the other hand, this is like industrial seed oils. These, you know, they call it vegetable oils, but they're really industrial seed oils. These things, they're highly, highly processed and very, they've, they've been shown to, to create all kinds of havoc in your body. And, and I'll just say this, like with, with um, most uh, seed oils, just stay away from them. Like if you eliminate sugar, flour, and, and vegetable oil from your diet, you're going to be well on your way to better health, I promise you. And then, you know, sugar is, is, um, sugar is the, the biggest culprit that we have in our society today, you know. Again, when they put out these dietary guidelines, they're like, listen, you guys can eat, you know, uh, uh, some of this. You, you need to make the most, the, the majority of your diet should be carbohydrates. Like up to 65% of your diet should be carbohydrates. Um, sugar is just a carbohydrate. It's just a highly refined carbohydrate. So they're, they're basically telling us, like, 
eat all these carbs and all this sugar and um, keep the fats really low, um, keep the protein really lean. And what has this done for, for us here in the United States and, and in other countries? Well, our, our levels of obesity have skyrocketed since then. Same with diabetes and heart disease and all these other, you know, hypertension, all these other um, cancers, all these things that, that are all considered like lifestyle diseases, you know. Things have just gotten worse and worse and worse. We're getting fatter and sicker as a nation, you know, when we're eating this like low-fat, high-carbohydrate diet. It's, it's not working. It's not working. There's, there's a better way to do it. And so that's, that's, that's kind of my take on this. And, 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 and listen, I'm not a, a scientist or a doctor. And, and so I can't like, you know, say definitively like this is wrong and this is right over here. But I'll just tell you, if you look at what's going on, it's pretty obvious what's happening. And, and when, I see, when I talk to people and we get them off of the sugar and off of the industrial seed oils and off the processed foods and they start to feel better, they start to lose weight, all the inflammation goes down, running becomes amazing, they have all this energy, they're sleeping better, their clothes fit better. All these amazing positive things, that, you know, they get off their medications. This is all just like... To me, this, there's, it's proof that, you know, the, the high-carb diet is not really working for most people um, and that there's a better way to go. Yeah. When you're telling those stories, I'm just thinking back me as a kid, like in the 90s, when all of a sudden it seemed like everything on the shelves used to be like 90% fat-free, 99% fat-free, like all of those labels <laughs> just got put on everything. And what I was replacing it with, with, I'm not entirely sure that I don't put that on the label, but... Um, it also thinks like generationally speaking, say like my dad will like, he doesn't use butter when he, like he uses margarine, which I think is probably like vegetable oil kind of, um, substitute or something, but refuses to use butter because he was told when he was a kid that fats were bad. And so he's not like using that. So it's, it's interesting how we can have such a completely different how we can get it so wrong, how we're fed the wrong information, pun intended. And the, yeah, it's just, we can get it so wrong because a lot of the times when people think about fats or putting on fat, like I said at the start, it's really, really unfortunate that we have the same English word for the fats that are in food and fat that is put on your body because people will just instinctually correlate the two. You eat fat, you get fat, but it's not necessarily the case. Yeah, I, I worked with a, a client who, so I talk about becoming fat adapted as a runner, which is, you know, where you're using fat as fuel for running, and it's just a, it's a great way to, to fuel your runs. And um, she said, can you not use that word fat in there? Because I just have such a problem with that. Really? Okay. <laughs> and it's just like, we, we've just become so like phobic of this word, you know, and, and um, fat is good. Fat's a good thing. We need fat. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. It tastes good as well. Um, so yeah. I guess uh, one other thing that I want to delve into was you had these five habits runners must have in order for them to lose weight. And we'll, we'll go through them briefly because I want people to go to your podcast to get into more, more detail if they want to take a deeper dive. But you had, say, um, 
first one that I had written down was just eating real food. What messages do you have for that as one of the five habits? Yeah, just let's go back to eating real food. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Food, which is like food um, that is... is uh... Uh, looks like real food. It's it's not heavily processed. It's food that our ancestors would have eaten, you know. And and when I say you know what does real food mean, it means like if it comes in a package, I would just be wary of it. You know, I buy very few things that come in any kind of packages. And when I do, I I'm really looking at that label. And and if it has a bunch of ingredients I don't recognize, I just stay away from it. Um, shop the perimeter of the grocery store, you know, where the fruits and vegetables are, the meat section, the dairy section, um, and stay away from those middle aisles with all the processed foods. Yeah, nice. The second one here was to decrease life stress. Uh, what do you have to say about that topic? Yeah, so stress, when, when we're under stress, um, we produce this hormone called cortisol. That's the stress hormone. And cortisol has this effect where, you know, it, it, it's like that it produces that fight or flight sort of effect in us. And, and our body responds by um, producing more glucose. So we actually get a blood sugar spike from being stressed out, which is good. Like if there's a saber-toothed tiger in the room, you're going to want that, <laughs> you know, so you can either fight the thing off or run away. Um, the problem is that that's not the case anymore. Stress now looks to us like, oh, I got all these emails to answer. I got to drive home in this traffic or the kids are driving me crazy. Th and that's like chronic stress. And so our, our blood sugar levels are chronically elevated, which, you know, we've already talked about this. And then insulin is elevated. We're in fat storage mode. Stress is literally making us fat and we need to, we need to reduce stress. Yeah. And I think that's the added benefit because I often talk about when you're in this chronic stress state, state, you are also unable to recover from like bouts of workouts. So you're very prone to overload injuries, like the external load that's placed on your body accumulates because you're unable to switch into this recovery mode. And if you're, if you go for a run or do a gym session and then afterwards you go to work, highly stressful, you come home to family, highly stressful, you're not getting a lot of sleep. Um, and then you run the next day. It's just accumulating a whole bunch of this external stress, external load. Um, and you're unable to, to switch, to switch into recovery. Cause that's when we get stronger. We don't get stronger during our run. We get stronger recovering afterwards and so if there's another message of why just decreasing life stress is so important it's it's got to do with the weight loss side of things as well number three was about meal spacing so do you have recommendations around like how often per week or dosages or any other guidelines yeah so if you're somebody who's trying to lose weight um one of the recommendations is just don't eat so often you know, instead of doing the six meals a day, like let's let's switch that to more like two or three meals a day. Um, and, and a lot of people just feel really good with, with the two meals. So skip breakfast, you know, have some coffee in the morning if, if that's your jam, you know, 
and then um, eat 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 lunch, eat dinner, but then don't eat. You don't you don't need snacks. We don't need to be snacking all the time. Um, again, when when we have food, when we eat food, our blood sugar goes up, and 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 then it takes a while for it to come back down again. So when we limit the the amount of time that we have food coming in, so we we call this our like you know eating windows. So we have like a fasting window and an eating window, and and the eating window would be like between like noon and 7 p.m. Let's say, and so you you have this this time period during the day where you're you're eating, and then the other times, you know, between dinner and, and lunch the next day, there's just no food coming in. And it's not hard to do. And it's, and it's, it has all these positive benefits. And um, it's just like space out your meals. Don't, we don't need to be shoving our, our faces with food all day long. It just compounds the problem. Okay. Right. And I love when these messages cross over because I often tell my runners they need to strength train when it comes to like performance. Um, they need to do, they need to start lifting heavier weights. Um, and you also have strength training as a habit that we need to do to lose weight. So what do you, what messages do you have on that topic? Yeah. So when you build muscle, um, you know, you, you burn more fat. And uh, carrying around muscle requires your body to, it requires more energy for your body. So you actually raise your metabolism as you build muscle. And, and they've done some studies where they've shown that it, it does increase not just your metabolism in general, but fat burning specifically. And then listen, if you're a runner, you know, and you're not strength training, you're, you're just, you're hurting yourself. You know, like you got to be doing strength training. Another thing that, that people don't realize is that when you're losing weight, a, a lot of people, they, um, they might be under eating or not eating enough protein and not doing strength training. And they ended up, they end up catabolizing muscle. So they end up like wasting muscle as they're losing weight. They're losing muscle too. If you're a runner, you don't want that, right? You want to maintain your muscle mass. So keep up with the strength training, keep your proteins, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, high and you'll, you'll maintain that uh, muscle mass and it'll just kind of help with the whole fat burning and weight loss process. Yeah. A, a little follow-up question. When you're talking about um, putting on muscle, if you're doing your strength training, are we expecting to put on pounds or is the increased muscle mass, is it around composition? So you could still stay the same weight, but just have like your composition is, it has changed. It depends on what your goals are. You know, some people want to, you know, put on 10 pounds of muscle, you know? So like, yeah, awesome. Do that. Um, other people are like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to gain weight from this. Um, a lot of women have, a, <laughs> they are, they're like, I don't want to be all big and muscly. I'm like, listen, it's so hard to like get all big and giant. Like, don't worry about it. Like, here's the thing. You got to eat enough protein and you got to do strength training. And then I'll, I'll show them like, you know, after a month of doing this, we'll, we'll redo their, their numbers and stuff. And they'll be like, I'll be like, look, you gained two pounds of muscle, but you lost, you know, eight pounds of fat and they love it. They think this is so awesome. Um, so, you know, they may have only lost six pounds, you know, but you know, they've, they've gained two pounds of muscle and they feel great. They look great. Their arms are like, boom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's also, um, when it comes to the runner who thinks that, oh, they don't want to strength train because they don't want to be too big and bulky. Um, the, the gym goers and the bodybuilders who want to put on muscle mass, 
they're not doing a lot of cardio. They're doing, they're working out in the gym. They're lifting weights five, six times a week. They're eating a ton of protein and like just their, their amount of intake is massive. But if you're an athlete who want, does strength training twice a week and runs three, four, five times a week, your body's going to adapt, more adapt to the cardio side of things rather than the muscle side of things. So you're not necessarily going to put on weight as easily well it's going to be very hard to put on weight if you're, you're doing a lot of running but like you said you you kind of lean out and you you gain small amounts of muscle mass but you're losing the the body fat alongside of it so you're still you're still like lighter you're still like an athlete you're still that endurance athlete but a bit more of a resilient athlete you could say yeah so i've i've started back in uh let's see february of this year and now we're into September already. I've I've put on in that amount of time, and I've been running, you know, uh, training for marathons this whole time. I've put on 10 pounds of muscle. I've lost, oh gosh, how many pounds of fat? I don't remember the exact number. But I've changed my body composition from 15.1% body fat to 12.9% body fat. Gained 10 pounds of muscle and done all this while training for, you know, marathons. It's not easy to do. You're, you're, you're right. It's tough as a runner to do that. But I'm sort of like a little, um, I'm, I'm a little, uh, like, determined to, like, say, like, listen, you can still do this. As a runner, you can still, like, improve your body composition. You can, you can get some muscle. Um, but it, it does take a little bit of work to do that. And lastly, we have for the five habits runners must have if they wanted to lose weight was to manage your mind. And you did talk a lot about mindset and a lot about habits, but anything that um, you maybe want to summarize or maybe another little tip around this topic that we haven't covered already? Yeah, just like it's fundamental, like the mindset and managing your mind, managing your thoughts and feelings is is fundamental and and you know um uh there's this uh sort of concept that you know i've kind of taken from cognitive behavioral therapy which is you know your thoughts create your feelings and your feelings drive your actions and so we have thoughts feelings and actions and this is like what a habit looks like you know and so when we when we understand how our habits are working when we understand the the sort of um, building blocks of how our habits work, it's much easier to change them. It's much easier to see that a lot of what we're doing is just repetition. It's just like habit. We feel like it's all automatic, but there's always like thoughts and feelings going on <laughs> that we have to stop, stop, pause, like understand, think about what it is your, your thoughts are, think about what it is your feelings are, why are you taking this action or why are you not taking this action? And then what can we do to change it? And this is like key to, you know, um, habit change. Um, and if you're, you're somebody who's like, you know, an emotional eater or you've had a really hard time losing weight, you know, like we, you've got some habits that need to change. And so the mindset piece is, is the way you do it. Yeah. And I think just reframing it that way to know what they're in for as well, because people might think that they they want to lose a couple of pounds. They're going to go on a diet, but they don't necessarily think that it's the mindset, the challenge, the the habit changes, which can be really tough. People might not think they're in for that kind of ride. Uh, and they think it just might be as simple as not eating as much as they did before. And then they realize like halfway into it, 
they're fighting an uphill battle because they haven't addressed that mindset side of things. Yeah. I mean, this is such a huge part of what I do with my coaching clients is like, this is what we're dealing with, you know? I mean, I can say like, hey, don't eat sugar. Like everybody gets that, you know, but it's like, what do we do when it gets hard? What do we do when it stops working? What do we do when we, you know, the scale goes up? Mm. You know, people, you know, a lot of people just want to give up, but, but I, I, I help them to understand how their mind works. I help them to understand how to stick with it even when it's hard. Yeah. Patrick, I want to be respectful of your time. I do have a few patron questions to get through, which I think we've covered most of the the answers itself in the actual episode content, but let's go through them anyway. So Andrew asks, "I I wonder about your thoughts around intermittent fasting and its effects on runners. Um, I'll, Add in a bit of a, a side note. Do you think intermittent fasting is for everyone um, or are there guidelines around that? So, yeah, I'm just going to say this like as a general thing here is like, I don't think any of this is for everyone. I think we're all so individual that and we all have different genetics and different metabolisms. We all have different uh, goals. We all have different lifestyles. We all have different likes and dislikes. For me to just say there's one way that works for everybody is um, it, it's not, it, it wouldn't be accurate. And so I never want to say that, you know, anything works for everybody. I do recommend most people at least try a lower carbohydrate approach um, if that's something that they're interested in doing and, and see if it works for them. Most people are kind of carbohydrate intolerant. And so um, we kind of start there, but I'm, I'm, I work with people who are vegan or vegetarian or carnivore or in between, and we make it work. So let's get into this intermittent fasting thing. So I think intermittent fasting is, is uh, something we're already, already, all, all of us are already doing, you know, because you, you don't eat when you sleep. So you're already sort of, there's a period of time during the day, usually it's about 12 hours or so where you don't have food coming in. So all we're doing is taking that and extending it like another four hours or something. It's not a big deal. You know, when you look at it in those terms, it's just like, okay, yeah, that's what we're talking about with intermittent fasting. So what are some of the benefits for running? Well, it helps when you're intermittent fasting, you're not, you know, you know, your, your insulin levels go down. Uh, you don't have the spikes in blood sugar. Um, you actually get an increase of energy. So you can act, you get this production of more adrenaline. So you can actually work out a little harder, a little more intense. Uh, you get a um, increase in growth hormone production when you're when you're in that fasted state, especially when you're when you're doing a workout in that fasted state, um, which allows you to recover faster. So you can actually work out harder and recover faster. It helps to increase um, muscle mass. It helps to increase bone density. This is the growth hormone, right? Um, so uh, it, it does help you with the fat adaptation process too. It helps to kind of speed up that process a little bit. Um, so there's there's decreased inflammation. There's all these positive benefits from intermittent fasting for running. Yeah, very well said. Um, and I think when you're talking about like everyone responds differently to different diets, a lot of my runners ask me questions around diet and I just tread around it. I'm not a dietitian, not a nutritionist. <laughs> and I do recognize that so many people thrive on one type of diet, whereas like not, not one diets for everyone, I guess is what you were saying as well. But I think my safe answer that I have is 
try to eat healthier. But also if you want to try something like keto or carnivore diet or something, maybe just give it a try and see if you feel better. It's like an experiment for yourself, um, treating you as the individual. Try intermittent fasting and see how you feel because some people can have some profound benefits. But if you're not seeing too much of a resounding change, maybe there's another pivot that you can make um, in another area of the diet nutritional side of things. So yeah, I'm right up the alley with that one. Um, Janine asks, I think there's, again, I think we've answered most of this, but she's, she'd be interested on your thoughts around the impact of insulin resistance on weight, um, which ties in with um, fasting as well. So from what you were explaining before, so the the insulin resistance is one way to like make sure you're not switching into the, the fat storage mode. Like if your insulin's low, then you're more into the fat burning side of things. Is that would that be how you'd answer it if we've already covered it before? So what insulin resistance is, is, is that um, your body will um, uh, produce more insulin because the insulin is not working anymore. So, for example, um, if you eat tons of sugar just all the time, your blood sugar is going to be super spiked all the time. Insulin is going to be rushing in to try to lower that blood sugar but it's not really having an effect. So what it does is, is, is your, what is it, your pancreas, I guess, just keeps pumping out more insulin and more insulin. And, and it's just not having the effect. And so you're, you become resistant to the effects of insulin. So you, your body is just like on insulin overdrive, which just really ramps up your, your weight. You're really starting to pack on the weight and this leads to type two diabetes, um, and, and all kinds of health issues. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a big problem. And, um, you know, uh, the, the higher, the higher sugar diets are definitely going to be, um, leading you in that direction. Mm. Um, Rachel, is it better to have natural carbs from vegetables and or to include good breads and pasta? <laughs> so uh, definitely, if you're going to eat some carbs, like get them from natural sources like above ground vegetables. Some dairy has some, some, uh, some, some carbs in it, which is fine. Eggs have a little bit of carbs in there. That's totally fine. Stay away from bread and pasta. Just like... The, the flour is really a problem. Flour is just a highly refined carbohydrate and really spikes your blood sugar. Um, it's, it's like sugar, flour, and vegetable oil. Stay away from those three things. And it's funny because all processed foods are kind of made of those three things. Jillian, you know? <laughs> uh, I am always running on empty. I always run on empty, usually early in the morning but sometimes as late as 10.30 in the morning. Is this bad? And she also says, I'm not overweight, so not because I'm trying to lose weight. I think it's just part of a routine. So is it bad to do this? Yeah, no, I think it's awesome. Running in that sort of empty state or fasted state, um, you know, whether you're trying to lose weight or not, it's, you're going to reap all kinds of positive benefits. Um, I talk to more and more people who are like, I just feel so much better running without any fuel beforehand. Like I don't need to fuel up to run. Um, and, and there's, and I kind of mentioned a lot of the benefits of, of, you know, uh, fasting and running. Um, so it's, it's kind of that same thing, you know, you just, you reduce inflammation, you, you know, um, uh, you'll recover faster. You'll be able to put out a little bit more, uh, uh, work during that workout. 
So there's all kinds of positive benefits. And if it feels good, do it. You know, if it starts to suck and it's just like, oh, I hate doing this, like, then don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Try it out. It's all. It's always Try a it bit out. of trial yeah. and error, yeah. Uh, what, Michelle asks, um, can we train our bodies to fuel more from fat sources? So along the same lines, um, or do we need the carbs too? So um, is it just as simple as just training or just doing more low-intensity runs just with a, an empty stomach? So really like I, a, a big, big part of what I teach and what I coach people on is becoming fat adapted, which means we train our bodies to use fat as fuel. And so we, we stop eating the sugar, we stop eating all the, all the problematic carbohydrates and, and we, we get out there and we keep running. This process is, is challenging. It takes a few weeks. It takes a few weeks of running in this sort of like a glycogen depleted state to where like running will feel hard. It feels like you've just started running for the first time and it feels very terrible. Um, but we get through it. <laughs> and as long as we keep the carbs low and, and we keep running through this process, you will train your body to use your own body fat, um, for, for fuel. And it's, a, it's, it's great because when you get to that point, running all of a sudden starts to feel great again you get but you get your speed back and and you're fat adapted so you can absolutely train your your body to use fat it's it's awesome just quickly i've been told in the past like if you are fasting and you have and you have a run planned um it's a bit more safer if it's low intensity rather than doing some really high intense efforts um are you on that same view or do would you disagree um, I kind of disagree. I mean, it depends on what your goals are. So like I'll do some pretty intense um, sprint workouts and they're short, short duration. And um, I can do these completely fasted and, and, you know, get out there and kick some butt and it feels great. Um, but if you're going to like, let's say you want to, you know, run a, 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 a PR, a half marathon, you know, and you're going to, you're going to be running hard for like, you know, 90 minutes trade or whatever. That's a little bit different. Like you, there, there would be some, some reason you might want to fuel for that, but you don't necessarily need to use, you know, the typical like high carbohydrate type of fuels. There are other options available. Cool. All right. Last question. We have Terry. He says, what's Patrick's view on carb cycling as a fat burning method. So he said that the, the carb cycling would be two days lower carb and then one day high carbs. And he says he's thinking of adopting this into uh, and trying it out for a month um, to in support of full body strength, power in the gym and running and to see what happens. So do you have any views on this cycling? You know, I've never really um, dabbled with this exact type of thing. I, I, I would say that I don't know if you're going to really um, reap the benefits of, of, a, of an approach with like two days and then one day of higher carbs because it takes maybe three to five days for those carbs to sort of metabolize. And so you s to start uh, seeing the effects of the fat burning, I would go for a different approach. I would do maybe six days of lower carb and then one day of higher carb and try that. I mean, you can certainly try this and see if it works. And, and this goes back to that. And of one that we were talking about earlier, it's like we're all an experiment of one. And like, 
dude, like try it. See if it works for you. See how you feel, you know? Um, just like looking at it and thinking about it, I'm, I'm wondering if that might be too short of a time period. So, uh, you know, maybe give it a few extra days in there, but yeah, give it a shot and see if it works. Yeah. Very good. I like how you recognize that there's, there's some diet principles that just aren't for everyone. Like everyone should be their own individual, try it out. But the, the guidelines that you recommended, is very sensible. They're just like, improving people just to be healthier in general, which is a really nice message. And what I really love is your piling mindset on top of that, which is a lot of people's limiting factors. And so recognizing and combining those two forces is, um, would set someone up for so much success. So that's great. That's why I want to get you on to discuss all these things. Like I said, I'm a massive fan of the podcast. I've binged a whole bunch of content from you and yeah, I, I just love this topic, it's going to be very popular. I know that diets and losing weight is a massive popular topic when it comes to, to running and for runners in general. So yeah, I really want to thank you for coming on and sharing all this wisdom. I do, I'll include the links in the show notes. I'll include links to the podcast. I've got your Instagram. Um, so running lean coach and I also have your personal Instagram as well. I've got your website. Um, is there any Anything else, any other links you want me to include or is there a link that you want people to mainly be directed to if they were to learn more about you? No, I would just say like check out the podcast. I think it's um it's 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 my platform. It's it's where I talk about this stuff in in a in a long form and I and I love just, you know, sharing the message. Um, and listen, we can all we can all make improvements in our lives. You know, one one of the things I like to talk about is how you know, health and fitness and, and, and becoming like the person that we want to become is like, it's a process. It's an ongoing process. It's not a destination we're trying to get to. It's like how we live our life, you know, and, and it's, and, and becoming healthy is like, it's like a moving target. You know, we want to, we want to, we want to become healthier. We want to become stronger. We want to maybe run faster, maybe lose some weight, but then we're going to want something else for ourselves. And it's okay. It's okay that we, we don't ever like, there's no finish line and that's good. Like this is how we live our life now. We live our life in a way that is, we feel good. We have tons of energy. We love what we do. You know, we, we're managing our minds and, and, you know, we're becoming and evolving and growing all the time and learning. This is how I live my life. And I always just want to be an example. I want to be an example of what's possible. I'm 54 years old. I'm the best shape of my life. I, I feel amazing. And I just want to share this with as many people as possible. So for me, it's just like, check out the podcast. It's Running, running Lean. You just find it on wherever you get your podcasts. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I'll second that message. Please get onto that podcast and have a listen. Patrick, thanks once again for joining me. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.